How's everyone doing tonight? Good. Hopefully everyone is, uh, is doing well. Uh, and I just want to say as a way of introduction this morning, I just want to say I'm super excited to, to preach before you this evening. I am, I'm honored. I'm humbled to be speaking before you. Uh, I want to thank, uh, you know, Pastor Scudder, Pastor Paul, uh, for giving me the opportunity. It's definitely not something that I, um, you know, I take lightly. Uh, so I'm very thankful for it. I also want to, uh, quick thank you for, uh, the entire church family. As I know, so many of you, um, have helped me get to this point. And whether you were, uh, a teacher or you were a, a coach or an influence on me or you prayed for me or, uh, dropped money in the offering plate or, uh, were just a part of the church family or here in the, in the pews this evening is a, is a big encouragement to me. And I know there's so many people, I, I can't list them all by name that, uh, that were with me and taught me and helped me grow even at times in my life when I didn't want to be taught. Um, so I'm thankful for all those people. And uh, before we open and see what God uh, has for us this evening, I would ask if you join me in a word of prayer and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into his word this evening. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this evening, God. I thank you where we can, we can come and worship you and we have that freedom, God. I, uh, I thank you for this opportunity. And Lord, I have no idea what is on the hearts and minds of the people sitting in the pews or watching this evening, God. I don't know what successes or what victories you have in each of their lives, God. I don't know the the trials or, or the struggles either, but you do. And the cool thing about you, God, is you don't just know what's going on in each of our lives, but you care. And I pray that we could be challenged from your word this evening and I pray that none of us would, would take offense or this is not anything that I came up with, God, but it's truths found in your word and just guide my, my words this evening. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So if I were to take a poll, right, if I were to ask a question, right, to the people in the room, right, what, what are some of the secrets in order to live a godly life? Right. And I asked you for some answers. Right. I, get, I bet I would get some mixed answers, but I, but I bet generally, right, we kind of hit on the same topics. Right. Similar things would come to mind. So I was curious. Right. So I did what they teach us in Bible college to do. Right. When you have Bible questions. Right. So I Googled it. Right. Uh, just kidding. Right. No, that's because that's where you go when you want life's answers. Right. And I found an article. Right. And it was it was good. Right. It, it said, uh, you know, in order to have a successful Christian life, a successful godly life, it said that we need to read our Bible. Right. Any hands in disagreement of that? That seems to make sense. Right. It said that we should pray. Right. Another one that. Seems to make sense, right? Lines up with what we find. It said that you should be an encourager, right? Reach out to people. That makes sense. Again, it told me that, that you should give, that you should tithe, right? Again, something that would line up with what we believe, right? Maybe often overlooked and it's harder to start tithing, right? But it's, it's something that God requires of us, right? It went on and it said that we should obey God, right? We should have faith. We should have forgiveness towards others, right? And I think all those things are good. I know they're good, and I often think that, that, that they're just often talked about. And we, we grow accustomed, right, to hearing messages on them. And, and while they're all super important and I'm not diminishing them, I think there's something that this article left out. And I would suggest to you this evening that without the things that we're going to talk about, and without one thing in particular we're going to talk about this evening, I say without it, we just can't reach a level of success in our spiritual lives that God wants us to. And if we don't have this in place tonight and what we're going to talk about, I would say that it will stunt 
our spiritual growth. And I'm sure you're asking, right, what are those things? So if you actually make it through the message, right, if you don't fall asleep, then you'll, you'll be able to see it at the end, right? But flip over in your Bibles with me. Flip over to, to 2 Samuel chapter 12. You can go on your verse sheet or 2 Samuel chapter 12, right? And there's so much to unpack. There's so much to learn from this passage. It has to be one of my favorite portions of Scripture. But it's really important that we know what happens in the previous chapter, and what's leading up to this event. So we got to do back up a little bit, a little bit of, of, of context and, and backdrop this evening. So we're going to be talking about King David. And King David, he's the second king of Israel. And the Bible actually calls David a man after God's own heart. And we're going to be talking about Nathan, who was a prophet sent by God in that day. But again, as we move into our text that we're about to read, it is super important that we understand what happened previously in David's life. You see, it's been roughly about 12 months since a dark day in David's life. Since he committed the sins of of adultery and murder. And I need to take a second to pause here because this is a different sermon for a different day. But it's important to note that if you would have lived in this time period from the outside looking in, it would have appeared as God, as if God had fallen asleep at the wheel. And people who lived in that day, people who knew of David's sins and he knew that they weren't right were probably asking questions like, is God going to let this one go? We know there's, we're told that there's consequences to sin. But as we read, up until this point, we actually find no record, recorded consequences in the text. And before we get into our main passage this morning, maybe you've thought that before. Maybe wrong was done to you, or to someone you love, or there's someone in your life that you know that seems to be getting ahead, and it just doesn't appear that God is noticing Because after all, David was still king. And looking at the current circumstances, it would appear as if God didn't notice. And if that's you today, I just want to say really quick, you know, maybe no one else noticed what happened in your life or what happened to you or the work you put in. Maybe no one else noticed, but God did. One author once said, and I loved it, he said, God designed a strategy that was about to take David to his knees. He said, God is awfully good at that. And God may not settle accounts at the end of each day, at the end of each month, or at the end of each year, but he does settle them well. And he goes on to say, God's wheel grinds slowly, but it grinds exceedingly fine. Right? Be not deceived, right? God is not mocked whatsoever you reap, right? We, we know that you're going to sow that, right? And just because there's time, between the reaping and the sowing, don't let that confuse you that God doesn't know what's going on in your life. And that's the backdrop that we head into this passage. So I would ask if you would join me in Second uh, Samuel 12. Uh, I'll read. You just listen. I don't want to make it too hard for anyone. We won't try to read it together. It's seven verses, right? So, um, And I'll go ahead and read that. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and he said unto him, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. 
The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat, drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom. And it was, on, it was as unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take... And he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the warefaring man that was come unto him. But took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said, To David, thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed thee king over Israel and have delivered thee out of the the hand of Saul. So you're like, what happened? Right? What's happening in that story? Right? So the Lord sent Nathan. And, and Nathan tells a story to make a point, right? Kind of like a parable, right? And he does this so that David can see his own sin. And the whole time David thinks that he's talking about someone else. And it even says in the text, if you look at it with me, it says, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. Unaware that Nathan was speaking of David in this very example. And then he says those four powerful words. Thou art the man. And he calls David out and he confronts him of his past sins. And I want to key on, if you look at me in your verse sheet on that first phrase, the Lord sent Nathan. You see, at different points in your life, you're either going to be a Nathan or you're going to be a David, right? We've all been on both sides of this conversation or at some point in our life, we'll be on both sides of this conversation, Like Nathan, at some point in your life, you're going to have a tough conversation with somebody that you love and somebody that you care about. And like David, there are going to be times where people are going to speak into your life, not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And let me speak to the Nathans in the room. Has God called you to be a Nathan this evening, right? Has God laid on your heart to possibly be a deliverer of truth to confront someone who needs to hear it? Maybe someone even popped into your mind this evening. And I want to take some time here. We're going to unpack how to be a Nathan. And what I mean by that is we're going to unpack is how do I confront someone in a biblical manner? But before we do that, I have to give you some truths about biblical confrontation so you can see where we're going. When it comes to that topic, nobody likes it. It's never pleasant. This is especially true if you're confronting someone about sin. And no one who ever confronts, ever does it, volunteers to do it. Right? You think Nathan did? I bet he was scared. David was king, right? He could have done anything he wanted to him. And I want to be clear again this evening, this job is not exclusively for pastors or leaders. God has put somebody in your life, it could be a friend, a spouse, a coworker, a loved one, that sometimes maybe it's your job to say, you know what, thou art the man. 
And I also want to make it very clear this evening that when I'm talking about this topic of confronting, I'm not just including big sins. Yes, in this example, it was adultery and murder. But I think most of the time when we confront a loved one or we confront a friend, it's about something like an attitude or a life decision or or a path that they're heading down. And God may call you to speak truth into many different areas into someone's life. Right. So how do you approach it? God laid it on your heart, right? To be a, to be a Nathan, right? Look with me in your verse sheet at Hebrews 12, six. And it says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Interesting, right? And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So you see, the first thing is when God calls you to speak truth into somebody's life, the first thing you need is love. And I think we see that throughout the Bible, right? God gives us a model. A lot of things we do kind of have to start and end with love. And if you think about it, right, the more I thought about it, right, no one loved like Jesus did, right? No one would ever debate that, right? No one loved like Jesus did, right? But at the same time, when one of Jesus' followers or disciples went on a line, right, he never just, he never just shrugged his shoulders and let it pass. No, he, he confronted them, right? He told them truth, right? But he always did it with a, with a desire for restoration, right? And he, and he did it with love. So when God sends you, not Nathan, but you, to speak truth into somebody's life, I think one of the things that we often do, right, is we make excuses and something we'll say is, well, I don't, I don't want to confront that person because I, because I love them too much, right? We'll make that excuse. And again, I, think, I don't think we see that as a, um, as a biblical model, right? It sounds good on the surface, right? Uh, but I think Jesus took a different approach, right? And why did he confront sin? Why did he think it was essential, right? Why, why is Nathan doing it? And if you'll look with me in your verse sheet, Proverbs 27, 6, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That's a deep one. You see, he understood the principle behind this verse Right, and, and he cared enough to confront, and he cared so deeply that he was okay saying the hard thing. And when, when you have to say sometimes a tough thing to someone you love, right, I think it really does demonstrate how much you care. Right, and this makes sense in, in, in the physical realm, right? Physicians, they'll, they'll confront their patient, right? Coaches will confront uh, a ba- uh, laziness, right, or a bad attitude, right, right, children or parents will confront children with a bad attitude, right, and we'll actually sit and we'll applaud and we'll give trophies and awards to a coach who gets after their players, gets on them, challenges them and make the most of it. But when it comes to pointing someone out, you know, in their spiritual walk, I think we often make excuses and we avoid it. Or what's probably more common is we blame the spiritual figure that God put into our lives. Or what we'll do is we'll blame the spiritual figure who spoke truth into our kids' lives because we'll ask, why didn't they come to us first? Right? And we take it as an attack. You see, when God calls you to speak truth into someone's life, the first thing you need is love. But the second thing I think that we have to consider this evening is the timing. I think oftentimes we're so quick, maybe an event will happen, We get emotional and we overreact and we get in front of God's timetable. 
You know what I find real interesting? Is God waited to send Nathan? He waited about a year. Right? You would think someone who had committed those sins, God would have, God would have met him, right, with an iron fist a lot quicker than that. And we don't know exactly, but we think it's around there. And you might be asking, well, John, when's the time? When, when is the right time? Right? And I, there's no blueprint. There's no exact answer. I think the best answer I could give you is, uh, stay sensitive to the things of the Lord, right? If you're, if you're following God in, in your prayer and your walk and your devotions and in church and in council, I, I think he'll make the time known to you. And while we're on the subject of timing, I'm told that the longer you're alive, the more you grow to appreciate God's timing. Because again, I find it very interesting. When did God send Nathan? Did he send him after, right after the adultery? No. Right after the murder? He didn't. Pregnancy? No. Right after the birth? There was still a little bit of time. See, I think God let the sins, the wheel, right, of sins turn kind of in David's mind. And he stepped in and we don't have time to go into it this evening. But if you read some of the Psalms that actually tell you how David was feeling during this time, he was miserable. Which goes to show you that just because someone looks a certain way on the outside never tells you the full story, does it? But has anyone ever been here tonight? I think if I ask for a raise of hands, has anyone ever questioned God's timing? I think we'd all raise our hands. And maybe that's you tonight, right? I think we all have. And I think there's points in our lives where we question God and we say, man, it's really slow. What, I, what I think ought to happen is not happening. It's going by very slow. And God is so slow to carry out what we think he ought to do. And I don't know what your situation is, and maybe it's been weeks, maybe it's been months, maybe it's been years, but I'm told that the longer that you walk for Christ, you'll look back and you'll realize that not only was his plan perfect, but you'll also realize that God's timing was perfect as well. Because you see, when God calls you to speak truth into someone's life, the first thing you need to consider is you better, you better approach it with love. You have to consider the timing. And the third thing you need is you have to be courageous. Let me remind you. Let me take you back to the text. What are those first couple words? The Lord sent Nathan. Nathan didn't send Nathan. You see, the courage doesn't come from you. The strength doesn't come from you. But your strength comes from knowing that God has laid it on your heart. To speak into their life. So I'll ask you again. Has God maybe called you to be someone's Nathan this, this evening? You see, at times, friends will confront their closest companions. And you have to catch this. Because if you don't, nobody else will. Somebody once said this, and I thought it was good. He said, the risk of saying nothing is too great. And again, you may never call it a big sin, but maybe God has called it uh, or laid it on your heart rather to, to, to address someone's attitude 
or their behavior or, or the life direction or how they spend their free time or the words they use or the friends that they hang around or maybe how they're not spending enough time in God's word. And I think we can observe what Nathan did. And if we look at the text, I think it's really cool. Because for all we know, Nathan never shout. He didn't scream. He never made a big scene. For all we know, he may not have even raised his voice. He just acknowledged truth. You see, he didn't let David's accolades stop him from delivering the message that God wanted him to. And uh, someone once said this, and again, I thought it was good. He said at, at that moment, Nathan cared very little that David was king. He wasn't impressed with his battles, with his life achievements, with his power, with his wealth, with his musical ability. He wasn't impressed with David, but he was impressed with his God. And he had a job to do, and he obeyed it, plain and simple. And I want to be extra clear on this truth this evening that God may lay it on your heart to call someone out, to confront. And you may follow all the principles, but your story might not end the same as Nathan's. And we need to remember this principle, and it's really important. Regardless of the response, at that time, you are God's appointed messenger. Because as we'll read in a few minutes, David actually has a good response, right? Nathan's godly challenge is received well, but I want to be clear that when you confront people and you do it with the backing of God's words, you will lose friends. I wish I could say that all stories ended like Nathan's. Because remember, right, we're at a point in the text where Nathan doesn't actually know how David is going to respond. And you see, I remember a few times in my life, and maybe you do as well, where you had to have a a conversation with someone you care about or someone you love or you speak into a friend's life and you pray and you get advice and you stay close to God in the process, right? And you don't want to confront and you don't want to tell him, but, but God lays it on your heart to do so. And you get the courage, right? And as carefully and as graciously and as lovingly and as kindly as you know how, you go to the David in your life and you say, thou art the man. And as those words leave your lips, it's kind of as this time stands still. Right? Because in that short interaction, you kind of send like a snapshot prayer to God, right? Hoping that it's going to be received well. And then what's after that silence? It breaks your heart. Because that person, they took it as an attack. They got defensive. And you wish it wasn't true, but oftentimes that person doesn't even want to be your friend again. All of that to say is maybe you're here tonight and you live in regret because of how someone responded to a godly challenge that you gave them. And maybe you lost a friend. Maybe you even lost a spouse. A dating relationship ended. A business partner and you had to go wait, go to their separate ways. Or you even have a child 
that has moved further away from the things of the Lord. And it, and it keeps you up, up late at night thinking, what, what could I have done differently? Could I have said something in a, in a different way? Right? But the fact that you had the courage to tell the person that they were off track means you cared. And you had their best interest in mind. Someone once said, he said, styles don't change, or styles change, sorry, God's standard doesn't. He honors truth, even when it's difficult to declare, but that's what's required of us. And you got to catch this. Those who care, care enough to confront. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, even when it doesn't seem like it. Because again, I want to think about this, right? If David had responded poorly to Nathan's challenge, would David, or would Nathan have been wrong in going? And I would say no, because again, I'm going to take you back to those words. The Lord sent Nathan, and he sent him before we knew of David's response. Right? Don't let the, the fear of loss, right, of a friendship be the reason that you don't challenge a fellow friend because God honors truth. And newsflash, right? If that person continues in their lifestyle anyway, they're heading down a negative trajectory and they're probably not going to be your friend anyway in the long term. But you will be one of the best friends that person ever has if you tell them the truth. You know, it came to mind as I was preparing. I couldn't remember all the compliments that I received in college, probably because I didn't get many compliments. Right? No, but I can remember the few times that I was confronted. Right? I can remember when, um, when Pastor Mark called me into his office, not over anything big. Um, I can tell you that I didn't take notes that day, but I remember what he said. You know what's funny? Is I can remember the shoes I was wearing that day because they were Nikes, and Pastor Mark hated when I wore Nikes to school. And I was a freshman, so I did it anyway, right? I can remember what the weather was like that day. You know, I remember when, when Mark Laskis challenged me to get serious about my schoolwork. I remember where I was in the kitchen. I could tell you what was for lunch that day. Why? Why say that? Because when you follow God's standard for biblical confrontation, and I pick three things, right? When you love, when your timing's right, and when you're courageous, there is no guarantee on how that's received. But it'll leave a mark in that person's mind, and they'll never forget it. And you may never receive a thank you for the things that you said, but one day those people will be thankful for you. And again, I don't remember the compliments that I received in college, probably because Pastor Mark was never good at giving compliments, right? Amen to that. Um, no, but in all seriousness, it, it sticks with you, right? And I need a, a side note here, right? I know you're the Wednesday night crowd, so this doesn't apply to you, right? But this is my disclaimer for the message. Do not take this 
message or this portion of scripture, right? To as soon as the message ends, right? Find that person that has just been egging you on, right? And hash it out in the parking lot, right? Because I know there's someone in the crowd this evening that is like, yes, finally, the message I've been waiting for, right? And then you're going to go tell someone all about what you just heard, right? And then it'll be my fault, right? And I know it's the Wednesday night crowd, so I don't have to get, you know, into twisting scripture to advance your kingdom, right? It's for, you know, when I get a lot of views on YouTube from this, I'm sure, right? It's for those people, right? No, I'm kidding, right? All right. So, well, I will suggest that there are some Nathans in the crowd this evening. If I were a betting man, which I'm not, right? Church, just clarifying, right? But if I was, I would say that there's more Davids sitting in the pew this evening. And you find yourself in a spiritual life where you know that there's something you need to improve on. And maybe recently God has, has sent a messenger into your life. And we can all learn from David's response. And look on your verse sheet or in your Bible. Uh, and in verse 13, and it says, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord has also, excuse me, has This is a tough one. Also hath put away my sin. There we go. Thou shalt not die. The first thing David says is I have sinned against the Lord. You know what the best part of this verse is? It's the part you don't find. Let me switch gears a little bit this evening. Maybe you don't relate with the position of a, of a Nathan. Are you a David? Has someone spoke truth recently into your life? Have you been challenged by someone God has sent or maybe by the reading of, of God's word by yourself or a message? Can I ask you, what's been your response? Because you want to know what the best part of this verse is, right? Look with me in your Bible. Look at your verse sheet, right? The best part of this verse is found right between Nathan and I. And you see there's nothing there. Because David immediately takes ownership. There's no excuses. There's no rationalizing. There, there's no calling out uh, the, the faults of Nathan. There's no explaining why his actions in this instance were okay. You see, not everyone responds to confrontation and conviction as well as David did, right? How many of us will, will defend, will justify, will excuse, will diminish our, uh, our, our own sin, right? Will Some people will lie about it, right, to cover our tracks, or some of us will go to any ends meet to destroy and discredit the person that accuses us of such action. Someone once said this, and I thought it was good. He said, David was king. And without a doubt, he had the ability to do that. And he had the power to do whatever he wanted, but he didn't abuse it. You see, he was, a, he was a man marked with humility, and humility welcomes accountability. So what is your response, right, when you get confronted, right? right? Do you get defensive? Do you list the faults of, of the person, that God sent in your life to make you better, right? Because I'll tell it to you straight this evening that you will never grow in your spiritual life if you can't be confronted 
and, and take advice from people that have the right to call you out anytime, anywhere. And again, we took so much time this evening to go through Nathan's story so we can see what a, what a correct way to confront someone biblically is. So I'll ask you again, when, when a Nathan, when somebody comes into your life and they're sent of God and they're there and they tell you, thou art the man, what do you say? Because we all have seasons of life where we need somebody to speak truth and love and to tell us not what we need to hear, not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. And you have to get this tonight. If you're a David in the room, you have to get this. Confronting someone about their actions, your sin, your behavior is one of the greatest acts of love that somebody can do for you. And you're probably asking why, how is that, right? Because that doesn't make sense, right? They have flaws too, right? That'll make me mad. That'll make me upset. It hurts. It doesn't feel good. And again, you have to catch this. It's one of the greatest acts of love because that person loves you so much that they don't want you to, they don't want to see you continue to head down the path that you're currently on. And they love you so much that they're willing to take a chance to tell you God's truth, knowing that in the back of your mind, you might get defensive and walk away. But they would rather be misunderstood and possibly have you mad at them than to see you continue down the path that you're on. So remember when I said there's often an overlooked key to a successful Christian life, I think it's simply this. I think it's your ability to say, I'm the man. And when somebody comes into your life, a godly figure comes into your life and they say, hey, you need to improve on this. If you get nothing else from this message, how you respond to those people will greatly determine the success that you're going to have in your spiritual journey. Are you like David? Is your immediate response, I've sinned? Do you acknowledge sin? Do you not get defensive? Do you not rationalize, right? Do you actually say thank you for that person coming into your life, right? And at the end of the day, right, if you want to be a successful leader, you're going to have to be able to say, right, I'm the man, it was, I messed up. I can do better, right? If you want to be a successful pastor, you're going to have to be able to say, I'm the man, right? If you want to be a successful church attender or a member, you're going to have to be able to say, I'm the man. If you want to be a successful parent or a spouse or a worker or a student, the list goes on. You're going to have to be able to say, yeah, I got areas I can improve on. And you don't spend time rationalizing and you don't spend time defending. You let God's word work in your heart and you see what areas need, need to be changed. So as we close this evening, has God called anyone to be a Nathan? If so, you have nothing to fear. But I'll remind you, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Are you in David's shoes this evening? Have you been confronted? Have you been challenged recently by God's word?
by a friend, a spouse, a coworker, a leader, a pastor. Let me ask you, let's take a look again at that verse. Samuel 12, 2 Samuel 12, 13. Do you put words between Nathan and I? Do you rationalize? Right, because newsflash, right? You are not at your spiritual peak when you're confronted. And it's super easy to take it as an attack. Look with me at Acts 13, 22, as we begin to wrap it up this evening. And I won't read the verse, but it says in there that David was a man after God's own heart. And you have to ask, how did he get that title? Because it's kind of confusing if you think about it at first, right? He, well, he committed murder. He committed adultery. There's several instances in his life where he had very obvious pride. So one would ask, was it what got him that title? Was it his musical ability, his leadership skills, perhaps his military strength, his faith, or maybe even his obedience? And I think what got David that title, at least what played a large role in getting him that title, was his ability to know when he was the man. And his ability to own up, I think, played a large role in God giving him that title. But here's the cool part. is David was just a man like you and like me. And if he was just a man and he got that title, then what, t- what that tells me is that it shows us that we can actually have that title as well. And make no mistake, David's son ended up dying. There were consequences for his action. They were harsh. But I would suggest to you this evening that if you want your creator to say those words about you, you're going to have to be able to say, I'm the man. You will almost never appreciate it in the moment. But as you get older, you will learn to be thankful for the Nathans that God has sent into your life. And as we close this evening, right, before you can be challenged, right, before you can, can be, you know, truly convicted and, and, and have, uh, you know, the ability to, to, to do that, right, we have to first understand the most important news, right? And that's the gospel, right? And I know everyone hears it, uh, you know, every week and, and we're so used to it and, we, and we, we become so accustomed to that. But if there's someone watching, right, or someone in the room that, that has never put their trust in Jesus Christ, right, it's simple, right? God lived a perfect life. Jesus lived a perfect life, right? And, and he came and died on the cross for you and for me. And it, it's not of works, right? It says up there, right? Not of works, lest any man should boast. It's just simple, Faith and belief in that and what he did on the cross for us and we can have eternal life.